<laughs> well, everybody, welcome. Uh, we are back live and in person. Uh, y'all should uh, give Pastor Kurt a big round of applause for doing that last week. So, uh, <laughs> so, well, it is good to be together tonight. Uh, welcome. Uh, we are on the home stretch. Uh, tonight we're going to finish up Ezekiel. And hold on, hold on. <laughs> we're going to finish up with uh, what we're going to cover in the scripture um, next week at five fifteen. Everybody say five fifteen. We are going to have our Ash Wednesday service in the sanctuary. And so I, I really encourage you to come to that. Invite your friends. Um, and uh, it will be, they, it's, it, it will be really, it's, just, it's always a special time. It just blows me away, uh, just the connection that people make with the Lord during that service. So we encourage you to come, 515. We'll eat supper after that. And we'll probably go a little bit past uh, 630 because we're going to be in there a little bit longer than we normally would. And then we're going to come back in and we're going to do a summary of Ezekiel. Just kind of go back through and hit the high points of what we have covered. Man, has it, it's, been, it's been a year. No. <laughs> so uh, it's been a good long, long while. Uh, and then uh, hopefully next week uh, we will start announcing what's next. And so uh, we'll we will, uh, yeah. We got to get Kurt. We got to get Kurt well, and uh, and so uh, we need to be praying for him for sure. No test. Oh yeah, essay. And so, <laughs> just say the Lord is here. All things new, and you got Ezekiel. Mm, all right, that's true. Uh, Psalm twenty-seven. So. I picked Psalm 27 for a couple of reasons. We're going to be talking about the land tonight, and that is an important, such an important part of the story of the Old Testament. Um, and it, one of the things that we've been talking about is how the images that we see in the book of Ezekiel, they show back up again in what book? In Revelation. Man, they're learning, Kurt. It's like, good. They show back up in Revelation but they're always tweaked just a little. It's, it's, it's not the same, but it is. And, and there's this expansion that is happening in Ezekiel, and we're going to see that tonight, expansion with the land. But then there's also this expansion in the book of Revelation that is just like beyond mind-boggling. And so Psalm 27 has a climactic uh, statement about the land that's one of the reasons. But I also want you to consider as you're preparing your heart for Lent, which starts a week from today, that maybe if there's a psalm that you want to stay with the whole season of Lent, I would encourage you to make it Psalm 27 for what is said in the middle uh, about uh, one thing. So that's what I want you to look for. The one thing, and then towards the end, what it says about the land. Sound good? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together, Psalm 27.
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to do our best to tackle chapter 47 and 48 tonight. We've had some time in 47 already. Remember, this is the great river that flows out of the temple. The most holy place in the temple, little drips of water begin. And it's this living water that turns into really a mighty river that is the symbol of the coming of the Messiah. It's the way of the Lord. And so remember, it flows into the Dead Sea. And what does it do in the Dead Sea? Yeah, it brings life. It cleanses. It takes away the death. It begins to grow trees along the banks of this river. And they're not any regular trees, right? They're the trees of uh, eternal life. It is a kind of a recreation of the garden. And this is, to me, one of the greatest treasures of Ezekiel. I mean, you guys have done the hard work. We were in those painful chapters where God was listing the sin upon sin, the the disaster that we went through. The people were corrupt. The religion was corrupt. Everything we tried to do to get off of the corruption, we just were more corrupt. It just it didn't seem like it would end. 
And God kept fighting for us. He kept, in a sense, as we said at the time, fighting for his heroin-addicted child. And I think it's so much of it is so that we can get here. What we've been dealing with for pretty much five chapters now is heaven. It's not heaven as our imagination runs away with, but a heaven, an eternity that God was showing Ezekiel. So in many ways it's tailored to what Ezekiel expected, but it's also interjecting incredible new things that he did not even conceive of. And I think tonight we'll, we'll have a hard time getting our brain around it too. But I love the fact that when God first created the garden, he was like a parent making a nursery for a new baby little grand, or baby grand. Yeah, thank you. Baby. All right. Granddaughter. Granddaughter. Thank you. A new baby granddaughter. Thank you. So you don't really know what she wants, so you kind of decorate it in what you think she'll like. Heaven is a place that is designed in partnership with us. There's a temple in Ezekiel's, what he's experienced of heaven, because it means something to him. God, I think, is consistent in his, his message, but not necessarily how he explains that message. So again, we can't get lost in the what's being described, but the how, the, the what is actually going on. God is trying to say, like in the garden, I am going to make my place with you. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to be with you. We're going to have, to steal some lines from Jesus, all of creation made new, all things made new. So what does that really look like? We exist in this new world where God has made everything new. Does he keep any of the old? What, what is new about it? You guys have been through this enough that we can take a stab at some answers. What, what is he keeping and what is he changing? What's this temple been like? Is it a regular old temple like he saw before? Nope. It's bigger. Uh, who, who else is included? Yeah, us, which is nice. It's been a temple where the right people, the good people, the righteous people are rewarded. Steve does a really good job of this with these kids, and I try with my kid um, to say that to live like Jesus' example, to love your enemies, to be forgiving, to be merciful as your first impulse, really works. But our kids will tell us it doesn't work in the real world, right? It's, it's, but God's trying to show Ezekiel, in this world I've created for you, where I remove sin, I remove the evil that has cast itself on your hearts. A whole new way of us relating is possible. Now that isn't just occurring in this world. It's with Jesus' teaching, it's supposed to be happening now. But Ezekiel has seen, right, the priests that were faithful are closer to God. The priests that were eh, cutting some corners, you know, trying to get by, God's still gracious 
They're not as close to God. There is reward, as they will say later on, crowns, gold, uh, the precious, the righteous acts that you perform for the Lord are like gold. And he, so he keeps it, he treasures it. And Ezekiel has sort of had that laid out for him. And one thing I love about God is his plan is always bigger than what we imagine. So what did, for most of the Old Testament, the Jewish people want from God? Once they got their promised son, what did they want? Land. The promised land. They weren't worried about heaven. They weren't worried about, you know, my eternal existence. They just wanted to live in the land. The land he gave them. And that's frustrating on us on lots of levels because ours is more of a spiritual exchange, right? Well, tonight you're going to see that this promised land is heaven. It wasn't just a hunk of real estate. I, I think it is here on earth. But in this new place that he's showing Ezekiel, you still there's a promised land. And it's similar, just like the temple in some ways, but in the detail, and it's almost dreamlike. When he starts looking at the land, he goes, oh, I recognize that. And there's that mountain, and there's the sea, and there's the Sea of Galilee, and there's the southern border. But that's not the same. That's really not the same. So again, it's this new creation where the best of the world is kept, but now the center of, well, I'll jump ahead, but the center of the promised land is now God. Just like they sort of describe him in Revelation. He is right dab in the middle. It's almost like they're moving the Ark of the Covenant again, but now there's no Ark, there's God. And so this whole country is reformed the way it should be without sin. And that's sort of an involved exchange, but I think we can go through it kind of quickly. So let's look at verse 13. So 1 through 12, we have the river. The river is, is Christ. The river is God's grace flowing out into the world. His holiness is not contained. It's going out. And this is what heaven is. I've, I've got it. It's, sure. a, it's a really bad slide, but I've got a slide of that river. Uh, just kind of, because we're going to be talking a lot about borders. Yeah, there it is. Isn't it awful? Uh, but yeah, there's there's Jerusalem with the temple there in the middle, and then the river goes, of course, to the Dead Sea, but it also goes to the Mediterranean. It it mentions that in the text, but it's all the action to the Dead Sea that we get really pumped up about. But that kind of provides a southern border for part of the kind of the special part of the land, and uh, that's that's that river there. Yeah, and that's a huge point. What comes from deep water? Evil. Yeah, that's very good from our, our Genesis study, and also Jesus is big on this. The Tahom, the deep waters, the ocean, um, it, it's called Yam, um, which is also in the name of a Canaanite demon. So they don't, the Mediterranean is not good. Uh, and it's this river, this God is flowing in and changing the waters. He's changing people. I mean, this is a theme, right? In right. Revelation, that the oceans are crystal clear now so that the darkness 
both within us and within the world is being removed. And at the end of book the book of Revelation, the sea is gone. Yeah, the evil order, uh, the darkness has been removed. Powerful. That's where it's come from. It's right there. Yeah, so again, lots of images that we have to work our way through that can be confusing, but the what, the, the sort of what God is trying to get across, I think is real consistent. Uh, that He is with us, evil is removed, and that we will be in the place that we were always meant to be. So we look at verse 13. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Follow these instructions for dividing the land for the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar? Who else said this? This takes us back a little bit. Time of Moses. No, exactly. So they had come out of Egypt. They wandered for 40 years and messed up. And God said, all right, we're going to uh, divide the lands uh, fairly. Uh, Moses is going to do it. There was some talk of casting lots. And I don't know if you remember almost from the get-go, the tribe started saying, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We actually saw this land over there. You don't need to cast lots for us. We'll take our land. I'll take this. You take, no, I'll and just from, it went downhill just 30 seconds into it. It's like uh, when your kids go to divvy up your estate, right? You know, when it comes to inheritance. Well, I want this. No, I want that. So the tribes were a hot mess from the very beginning. Some of the tribes went beyond the eastern, or beyond the uh, Jordan River, and it was a mess. They were on the eastern side. They weren't connected. Uh, they're the first to fall. And so all of that's gone. And there really is this sense of Deuteronomy, of Moses coming again. Ezekiel is seeing the promised land being distributed as it should have been. All things made new. The promised land is being made new. Now, if we were sitting there, I don't think we would be so excited about the promised land divisions because we're not Jewish. Now, what we would probably see is Texas Tech, the uh, the winners of football and basketball for, I mean, it's that kind of stuff that we would hope for right now. But We actually have a, have a map of how the uh, the land was supposedly going to be divvied up, uh, got a map. This is from actually from Numbers. Yep. Yeah. So just kind of ponder that for a second. Uh, equal, not so much. Uh, and it's interesting. Dan is right there in the middle. Dan ends up way in the north, and, and we'll see that uh, here in a little while. Uh, yeah, it's, it's any failure that you've seen of a group of people. <laughs> you know, individuals make bad decisions. Collective groups of people make really bad decisions, right? So God would say, hey, go take this town. And they'd say, no, it's too hard. Uh, I'll live here in the park. <laughs> so it, it was a disaster. And they ended up fighting themselves and... You can see a little bit Manasseh and Ephraim, which is smaller, were the bigger tribes, and so they should have had more territory, but they, you know, Manasseh ends up on the wrong side of the river, or half of them separated by Gad. It's a disaster. Um, Judah basically gobbles up poor Simeon. Um, 
no, no offense, great name, you know, you should have been well represented, <laughs> but you get lost out there. And Steve's right, Dan, is Dan on there? Yeah. To the, yeah. We- to the west of Ephraim. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's supposed to be way, way up north. I mean, it ends up way up north. That's, exactly. That's yeah, just, yeah. what you're saying. So let me show you the, the divisions that are marked out in Ezekiel, and you'll notice something very different very quickly. Do we have... Yeah. It might be in mine, Maurice. It's... Yeah. Oh, no, that's okay. I think this one was just map. Oh, no, map two. Map two. Yeah, so that's on earth how the, the distribution of the land went um, from Numbers to Ezekiel. So there's not much more land, but the one right after that is the one I think we want. Um, so can you see that? The, the one, I have a couple, a couple of different ones that are a little bit easier to read than that. Yeah. yeah, that one. There That's we go. That's a good one. There we go. Don't pay attention to that top line on that at all, please. Yeah, that is nonsense. I had that same problem. Yeah. But look, Gad's all the way at the bottom. Gad used to be all the way to the north. And what, what do you see about the divisions? Yeah. I don't know. I won't take you through it, although it's fun to go through it. Um, if we start in verse 15 and work down towards the descriptions of the land masses that they're using to mark this, it is very familiar in the beginning, and then suddenly it's not, because the divisions that they're talking about don't fit in the space that they're, they've laid out. So the divisions aren't following any kind of river line. They're not following any kind of natural geological feature. So this is, and this is what God's done with the temple, right? Wait, this is familiar to me, but in a dreamlike quality, it's very otherworldly to me. How how is it that you can get uh, Manasseh, for example, on both sides of the river um, and call it one land? There's a river flowing through it. How is it that Gad has been moved all the way down to the bottom? I mean, all of these these descriptions, you begin to realize there's something else going on than a map description. Because either God or Ezekiel is incompetent, and the map's completely wrong, or the map has changed, or there's something else going on. And it's that something else going on that there is now equality amongst the tribes. Again, it is not based on what they can fight for, steal, or push for. It's based on the quality of who they were as people, just like it was with the priests. To jump back to it, it sounds strange to us, and very strange at this late in the New Old Testament. Um, so back in 13, the tribe of Joseph will be given two shares of land. Otherwise, each tribe will receive an equal share. So they're not kidding. I mean, it's down to the square meter. They get the same amount. But why does Joseph get two? Who gets two, generally, in inheritance? The what? Yes, it's his sons. 
But why does he get two? It's firstborn. Is Joseph the firstborn? Nope. Not at all. But the firstborn was so rotten, I think it's Reuben, it's been a while, Yep. Um, that, again, God doesn't give inheritance based on your blood type or your birth certificate or what you were born into. It ends up being the content of your heart. And so in the world to come, as they would say, in this new promised land, Joseph's actions, saving his people, are still remembered by God. And so he was elevated to the position of firstborn and given two uh, portions, which would be his two sons, like, like you said, Ephraim and Manasseh. That, that we're coming to that. Um, it, it, he's he's going to radically change what was done from Numbers or Deuteronomy to, to now. Uh, Levi's going to get a portion. Yeah, a big one. But we start off here with equality. Um, the way the world was supposed to be before you sinned. And it looks similar, but very different. God saying, continuing, I swore I would give you this land to your ancestors, and it will now come to you as inheritance. And that is such a loaded phrase in Hebrew. Uh, their inheritance was their eternity. Their inheritance was, in a sense, the kingdom that we've been, we've been looking for. It's, it's the world to come. So God's saying, I am really honoring what I said to you in the beginning, but you had no idea what it was. You thought it was 150 miles north and south, seven miles wide on the planet Earth. I'm going to show you it's far more than that. It's a whole new way to exist as humans where you will exist with me. So does that, does that make sense? Are we tracking? You want to go through all the geographical descriptions? <laughs> no, me either. Uh, so <laughs> I want to jump to 21 when God really drops a bombshell on him. So this is the inheritance for the people since the time of Abraham. This is the, the 12 tribes. Divide the land within these boundaries among the tribes of Israel. Distribute the land as inheritance for yourself and for the who? Foreigners. Dang it! Trying to get rid of them who have joined you and are raising their families among you. They will be just like native-born Israelites to you. And they will receive an inheritance among the tribes. So they're not staying for seven days. How long are they staying? Forever. Their place, and if you follow this line of thinking, their inheritance, their eternity, their benefit from the covenant of God is now included with the ger, they call him here. It's an old word <clears throat> uh, for goyim. It goes back to Genesis, and I think it's that kind of language they were uh, mimicking here. But this is not, I think, what <laughs> Ezekiel thought. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought you would restore the tribes and 
One of the things that was happening towards the later half of the Old Testament is what tribe was important. What is the tribe that always ends up getting everything? Judah. Judah, 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 Judah. It's like that sister, right? The northern tribes, they, they were apostate. They get destroyed. Everybody moves to Judah. All we care about is David from Judah, 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 Judah. And so we get here to heaven. And does Judah get two portions? No. Do you remember what Judah did in Exodus? I won't go through it. It's terrible. Um, Judah is important, and I don't want to downplay it, because certainly Jesus comes from, from that. Also, you, you know, the, the concept of Jew comes from Judah. So the tribe that really survived all of the extinction events uh, was Judah, so uh, Jews today. But what Ezekiel is seeing is a world in which all the Israelites are given their land. Judah is certainly honored um, in a very special place, but she's not dominating everybody else. Um, that's pretty awesome. And then the Gentiles are here too. They're part of us. Um, this is one of those scriptures that I think both Jews and Christians need to take seriously. Um, we can live apart and we're maybe first and second born children, but it's daddy's plan at the end that we all live in the same house or whatever image you're using, heaven, city, uh, whatever that we have an opportunity to be included, I would say, by the new covenant into the old covenant, but we won't get on that argument here. So, so when, you, when you look at Revelation 7, uh, if you want to turn over there, you can. Uh, there is, there is a, uh, a, uh, basically a retelling of this, of this, of this right here, except it has a, like I said, a, a little bit of a change. And uh, so it's Revelation 7. And so basically John is, there's this 144,000, 12,000 from each one of the tribes. And he goes and lists the tribes. One of the things that is going to be maddening when you look at lists of tribes, it's almost impossible for any of them to match up. Um, like in this list of tribes, Levi is mentioned. It's... It's missing, right? And then we have Manasseh, but no Ephraim. So that's, that's free. Uh, the, the list of tribes are, are, are challenging. So there we have that. All the Israelites will get their inheritance, right? And then what comes from the, the, uh, the foreigners who are living among you turns into, after this, this is verse 9, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So it's like this radical shift from just the people spread out amongst the Israelites, all these people from, from everywhere that have come to worship the Lamb. Awesome. And I think we see a little bit of that happening in our world today. Do people around the world worship the God of the Bible? Yeah. And 
you know, pockets all over. I mean, from India to China, all through Asia, some in Russia, Europe, a few, um, you know, America, South America, Africa. They're all people that have their origins with what began with the Jews and obviously continued with Jesus. So there's a lot of foreigners that are coming to the party, and that's to be celebrated. So again, poor Ezekiel's like, I don't know how I'm going to tell people back home all of this. Remember, he's still in a refugee camp. He's going to go home and tell everybody, hey, we get to go home. But it's not quite like the home we thought it was. And God's got a few more surprises. Let's go into chapter 48. Tom alluded to this. What about Levi? Um, Because whose tribe would that be? The priests and Ezekiel's. So we didn't get our portion. Verse 8, south of Judah is land set aside for a special purpose. It will be eight and a third miles wide and will extend as far east and west as the tribal territories with a temple at the center. So if we can go to Steve's map again. So there it's labeled Holy District, so just south of Judah. Now, it's hard to tell with these maps um, if you're not really familiar with it, but you see uh, the Dead Sea and all that. So where Jerusalem was, uh, there's now this holy section. It's, it's the center part of the country. They're not saying Jerusalem. They're just saying this is a special part of the country that is uh, reserved for God's purpose. And put your seatbelts on because it's about ready to get wild here. All right, so we have this, this branch of territory. It's set apart. The temple's in the middle. The area set aside for the Lord's temple will be, again, eight and a third miles long and six and two-third miles wide. For the priests, there will be a strip of land measuring eight and a half or eight and a third miles long by three and one-third miles wide with the Lord's temple at the center. This area is set aside for the ordained priests, the descendants of Zadok, who obeyed me and did not go astray with the pe- when the people of Israel and the rest of the Levites did. It will be their special portion when the land is distributed, the most sacred land of all. So, sorry, Marie, we have a map of this breakdown <laughs> of the temple city. Uh, so we've talked about the temple, and it's huge but it doesn't seem to be on a mountain anymore. And there's, there's now divisions of the city that's going around the temple. And God wants the priests now to have a section around this city uh, for the, the descendants of Zadok. Again, they're, they're Levites. So we'll leave this up for a minute. It's a lot that we have to go through, but the temple in the middle and then this holy district, sort of the purple uh, area set aside for the priests. And these would be the Kohanim. But we got some more to go. He's not done yet. So you want to talk about how things used to be for the priests? Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. 
So the priests were distributed in all the other tribes. They had certain cities called cities of refuge that were strategically placed throughout the tribes that if you were not guilty of a crime but you were accused of it, you could run within just a couple days' journey and get to one of these cities of refuge and the Levites would protect you. So it was sort of a appeals court in ancient Israel. Other than that, the, uh, the priests had little pockets uh, amongst the tribes, but they didn't have their own territory uh, themselves. So now it's different. Uh, again, it's this, wow, uh, those that have been faithful to God, those that have uh, done the right thing when it was hard, those that did the right thing when no one else was watching, God is sort of rewarding that and saying, Ezekiel, I've seen what the good priests have done, and so now I'm going to reward you uh, with closeness to me. Again, everybody is given a part of the land. There's plenty for everybody, but uh, closeness, I think in New Testament language, it's crowns, this kind of idea that the righteous acts that we've committed are, are crowns that we put at Christ's feet. It's, it's the same imagery, but this idea that your choices really mattered in life and they affect uh, what heaven looks like. All right. So that, um, continuing on, next to the priest's territory uh, will lie the land with the other Levites will live. The land allotted to the Levites will be the same size and shape as those belonging to the priests, eight and one-third miles long and three and one-third miles wide. Together, these portions of land will measure eight and a third miles long by six and two-third miles wide. So he's rewarding both. The, the Kohanim are closer to the temple, uh, but then the Levites. And again, these descriptions, it's not quite, you know, how are we all going to live in this square footage? You know, it's the sort of heavenly measurements here. It's a, it's a complete sense that's being given uh, to, to these priests. So continuing on, verse 14, none of these special lands will ever be sold or traded or used by others, for it belongs to the Lord, and it is set apart as holy. So again, he wants these priests close to him, uh, in a sense, uh, for everybody to come worship. And so maybe Ezekiel's like, oh, well, this sounds good. An additional strip of land, eight and one-third miles long, by one and a half or one and two-third miles long, south of the sacred temple area will be lauded for public use, homes, pasture lands, and common land, with a city at the center. The city will measure one and a half miles on each side. Open lands will be surrounded the city for 150 yards in every direction. Outside of the city, there will be a farming area that stretches three and one-third miles to the east, and three and one-third miles to the west along the border of the sacred area. The farmland will produce food for the people working in the city. Those who come from the various tribes to work in the city may farm it. This entire area, including the sacred lands and the city, is a square that measures eight and one-third miles on each side. So, there's a lot here. So God is building all this space. Right in the middle, who does he make room for so it's not priest land, right? He wants a city there, a square. And I should have 
mentioned this earlier, but some of the descriptions they give in land measurements for the tribes end up being in squares, which doesn't make sense when it's two-dimensional, right, on a map. And here you have at full bore this, this type of space that is as high as it is wide. Um, I'll, I'll say before, Steve takes us into Revelation. So this is, again, kind of an open door for people to approach God that don't have the priestly raiments. So as much as God is still honoring them, he is building this city, a place to reside for people that choose to come to God. And we'll have a much fuller description of this square city, this cube city in Revelation. Yeah. So hopefully you've noticed that, um, like, let's go back to the map of uh, the, the stratified map. Um, yeah, that one. That you've noticed that really the land is bigger than it ever was. Uh, like in the key, like during David's time, uh, that was probably the full the the largest expansion there was of the nation, and it's almost down here to Egypt, right? So it's expanding, and so this what 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 uh, Ezekiel I think is seeing is that there is room for everyone. Yep. And if you think Ezekiel needed to see that, well, what do you think John's going to see? After, you know, in, in the aftermath of the resurrection, what does John see? And so uh, you turn over to Revelation 21. I think we've mentioned this even in our class here, uh, how big this city is, square, right? So 21, verse 15. This is John talking. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city. Now, how big is this city, Pastor Kurt? Well, here it was just miles. but it's Mile and a half by mile and a yeah. half. Yeah. This city, he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12, what do you got there? 12,000 what? Stadia? Uh, some may have, if you're reading King James, I bet you have, what do you got? What do they measure horse races in? Furloins, yeah. You, you, may, you may have that. Um, but it's about between 1,400 and 1,500 miles. Yeah. And so now we're, if Ezekiel's mind is blown, John just like he's swimming uh, to, to see this. Um, it is absolutely massive. And especially within the context of, the Re of Revelation, any multiples of 12. So you've got 144. Uh, that's, how, that's how thick the wall is. 144 cubits thick is how thick the wall of this city is. And then you've got this city, 12,000 stadia square. Uh, then you've got 144,000, and you've got the 12 tri It's all multiples of 12, which then it's always talking about people. The city is people. People who, like Kurt just said, 
who have determined with their life to follow and to draw near to God. The book of Ezekiel ends, God is there. The Lord is there, right? That they are recognizing that the Lord is in their midst. How much of our life with God is recognizing and responding to the fact that he's present with us? Huge, right? 12,000. So I've got a couple of, a couple of maps, more photos here, of just kind of how this looks, comparatively speaking. I think we've got one of a globe. It's a, yeah, that one. So this is to scale what 12,000 stadia looks like compared to the United States. John doesn't have the capacity to understand this. It's just massive. And it's sticking up off the earth because it's, it's, a, it's a perfect cube. It's not just square two-dimensionally, but the city's walls go up 12,000 stadia as well. Y'all know where 12,000 stadia or 1,400, 1,500 miles up is? It's outer space. It's like outer space times three. 500 kilometers is about... That's that's uh, you're you're into outer space, and so we're we're massively beyond that, and so John his mind is just completely and utterly uh, blown. The, say that again. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't it good to see that California isn't in the city? <laughs> Friends live in California, Pastor Kurt. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no. Um, and, and so what, what, what Ezekiel experienced, remember, where is he when he receives this vision? He's hanging out in a muddy valley. And uh, to see this, that, yeah, that there is going to be room made for them, and room made for even their enemies, and that the risen Christ, even so much more, is drawing all people to himself. And there is room for everyone. And God has yet another surprise. Exactly. I would say Ezekiel's like, what? Let's stop. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't hold any more in my head. But go to verse 21. And I think this is one of the reasons it's at the end. So he's finishing the description of the sacred holy space in the center of the country. The area that remains to the east and to the west of the sacred land and the city will belong to the prince. Now the prince is this mysterious character that has sort of popped up several times in the background and Ezekiel has been sort of amazed. Who is that? And then he goes on somewhere else and, who is that? He's had a number of clues about this figure. He is of the line of David. Uh, he is uh, a son of David. He is closer to God than any angel has been. He's able to stand in God's presence. So we have, I mean, we know, of course, who this is. Ezekiel is trying to probably figure it out. But it's Christ. So in a sense, surrounding this holy space, the way that you approach the temple, 
is through the prince. I think Jesus says something about that. No one can come to the Father except through. So now you know where we we come up with this. Um, Each of these areas will be eight and one-third miles wide, extending opposite direction to the eastern and western borders of Israel. So the prince's land will include everything between the territories allotted of Judah and Benjamin, except for the areas set aside for the sacred lands in the city. So in a way that I wish we would again take a little more seriously, God has perfectly balanced the covenant he's made before. The tribes have their land. Uh, the priests have their land. There is a temple that is the, the turning point of everything, but yet in the midst of it, there is the land of the prince. There is the land of the foreigner. The foreigner is grafted in. The covenant that we make uh, gives us you know, plenty of access, plenty of room. So poor Ezekiel is seeing things that definitely blew his mind, but they're, they're so perfect that it's, well, heaven. is <laughs> uh, could be described. We're going we're gonna to run out of time, so I can't miss the last little jewel I was holding for you. And uh, it's so mic-dropping kind of moment. Uh, again, we see it in Revelation, but look at verse 35 and circle this. Whew. The distance around the entire city will be six miles. And from that day, the name of the city will be they say, Yahweh Shammah, um, the Lord is there. So everything he's been trying to describe is God has made a home. In the words of Jesus, I go to prepare a place for you so that everything's ready, I can come again and get you. And that's what this has been for Ezekiel. I believe, my heart of hearts, that all of us will have this tour one day. I don't think we'll see exactly the same thing. I think we'll see a lot of the same things. But I think, again, part of our life, part of our journey, part of our covenant with God will be made real in this real place that he plans to be the center of everything. Now, the metaphors, you know, he's the ark, he's the temple, he's the light, he's the moon. I mean... All of those things are pointing to, I think, what this city name is. God is there. Or as Revelation says, the, the place of God is now with man. That's right. Um, the, the creature, the child has come home. What's the first thing Ezekiel saw of God? You remember that far back, 50 years ago when we... What was God doing when he stopped and talked to Ezekiel? He was leaving the temple. That was a hard day when God says, it's such a bad neighborhood now, I'm out of here. When God abandoned ship, your, your ship is sunk. But we've crawled, walked, been carried to this incredible place where God says, I'm here and I'm never going. I'm never leaving. We're going to be together. That is awesome. Why don't we remember Yahweh Shammah? That is probably a name we ought to, to hold on to.
So as Kurt was saying at the beginning that we're getting a tour of heaven, I still think that's kind of hard for us to kind of put our minds around when we're reading this. But one of the things I think it's important to note that when the Bible talks about heaven, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, whichever one you want to use, or when the Bible is talking about eternity, talking about the same thing. It's not, those are, those are exact same concepts. And one of the things we get hung up on is when I die, I go to heaven. Well, <laughs> because of Jesus, heaven has this capacity right, to back into our present. And so it's like we're invited to open our eyes and our hearts to experience that now and to not only experience it, but to share it. So for something, for, for there to be a kingdom, uh, biblically speaking, so kingdom of God, um, for there to be a kingdom, there's got to be six things, biblically speaking. Now I just want you to kind of maybe write these down and just ponder this. For there to be a kingdom, there's got to be a king. Right? Or a prince, yeah. Yeah. Or the prince, Right? And in that kingdom, the king rules. He rules, biblically speaking, according to Ezekiel, by bringing that which was dead back to life. Dry bones, right, coming back to life. Rivers flowing, bringing things that are dead back to life. He redeems, the king redeems his people. That's how he rules. And he rules also by being their Lord. Like that he has authority over then, the third thing, a people. That is why this, uh, the, the, he's so insistent about talking about these tribes. Because tribes are not just tribes' names. Tribes represent people. Right? So the people... And in the kingdom, then fourthly, you've got to have a will or a law or a way of living and being in the world. Remember, God in Ezekiel is going to take out our heart of stone that runs after idols and sacrifices babies, right, to, to Molech. We're going to take that heart out. And there's going to be a new way in this kingdom to be and to live. You got to have that to have this kingdom. And you got to have a land. You got to have a, a place to actually do it, which is why this book ends in the way it does. It has to have all of those things. But at the middle of those five things, the presence of God must be. To, for biblically speaking, for there to be a kingdom, right? Those are the six things. Make up heaven, kingdom of God, eternity is backing into our present right now. I want you to look before Pastor Kurt closes in prayer at Ezekiel 37, uh, verse 24. And in some ways, this passage here back in 37 gets us ready for all the rest of the book. I think in some ways is kind of the jumping off point for John whenever he starts experiencing what he experiences. 
So keep those six things in your mind that I just said and notice how they all pop up right here. My servant David will be king over them. And they will have one shepherd and they will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Prince, the king in Ezekiel is the same person, right? I will make a covenant of peace. There's that ruling part. I will make my covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put my, what do you have there? Temple or sanctuary among them. When? Forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is language that is repeated verbatim in the book of Revelation at the end, right? Because you got to have people to have a kingdom, right? And we're them. And and they're God and, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know. See, the nations even here in Ezekiel have a part to play. The nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy. When my sanctuary is among them forever. And just to ponder how, how that is realized in Christ. That Jesus is our king. That Jesus rules by dying. He redeems us by dying. And he, um, he becomes our Lord through resurrection. That we are his people. And, the, uh, and, and that his way, his will in the world is, is made manifest in his teachings. Right? So... Israel had the Torah. We have the gospel. We have the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, that expands and helps us to understand what the meaning of the Torah was all along that the people missed. But then you get to this place, this land. Talk about changing things. Uh, that the land is not this small place in the Eastern Mediterranean, but the land in the kingdom of God is every place that citizens of the kingdom place their foot. And that the presence of God, brothers and sisters, is no longer just regulated to a place in the, in the uh, special allotment in Jerusalem, but where is now the presence of God? Everywhere where a follower of Jesus sets their foot. That's heaven. And we get the opportunity every day to take heaven to a hurting and broken and confused world and to be the light that God has called us to be. You want to add or take away any of that, Kurt? No, I couldn't add. That's great. So those six things. I think those are important six things to remember 
Because we're not waiting to go there. They have come to us. I think we have a question over here. One quick question. And first of all, this was a wonderful study. Appreciate all the hard work that went into this. <laughs> Phenomenal. Now, help me a little bit. I need some understanding. <laughs> you and me both, brother. We have this little bitty city over here in Ezekiel, right? We have this great big city here in Revelation. One has a temple. The other one doesn't have a temple. We're told in Isaiah, in fact, where it's speaking of the new heaven and the new earth, that, in fact, I'll read it. It says, he who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. But yet, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us there will be no blood or flesh in the kingdom of heaven. Many anomalies like that. Where am I missing the boat? <laughs> so our challenge is, and it's just like the descriptions of creation in Genesis, God does not give us the blow-by-blow -blow mechanical uh, explanation of how it all happens. He tells us the crucial things in terms of relationship that we need to know. He handled all of creation. He created from nothing. He created in order. He created developmentally. He created so humanity would be in the center, that we would have a place with him. What we have with Scripture is 1,500 years of people having conversation with God. And God, I think, takes those perspectives seriously so that when we bring something to the occasion, He doesn't ignore it. I think, my, my interpretation, He really learned how important kids were by some of the conversations with Abraham. Because He continues that, that child's focus with Moses, with Jesus, all of the firstborn stuff. So he picks up things from us. You have him trying to describe heaven, and let's be honest, we're none of us going to get it perfectly. If you saw it and I saw it, I think our relationships with God, our experiences, we're going to come back seeing little different parts of it. We see them do this with the Gospels, right? You know, some of the most basic things you think the disciples would get about Jesus, there's, as you say, anomalies amongst them. It doesn't mean people are lying. It means that this is real history. It's not a fabricated story where we made sure all the figures ended up being the same. Uh, so Isaiah see, sees part of it. I think he's kind of left out. But Daniel has a whole kind of different description. You know that. And then John, even more. The temptation, I think, always is whichever fellow had this experience like us, we gravitate towards their description. And unfortunately, we want to make that one the normative and throw the other out. For me, Scripture is about the harmony. If it's all God's Word, it all has something to say. It's not all going to be the same note, um, but it's, it's the truth of God. So at least at 50, that's how I, I reconcile it. I promise you there's Star Wars in heaven um, just because I'm bringing it, right? I mean, I, I, I'm not that serious about it, but something of me and something of you will be in heaven, and that's okay.
Yeah. Okay, go ahead. By the way, Kurt, I love your interpretation. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. That was a great question. And we love you guys because we get to study it this way. We, we forget sometimes that Scripture is meant to be read out loud and discussed. It's not to be read on a cell phone by yourself in the bathroom or you know wherever we tend to do it now. Um, it really is to be this. So I love it. We love you guys. Any last words? No. All right. You in any shape to pray? You want us to pray for no. you? Nah, a little both. So. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We can't even put into words what is in store for us. We know, O oh Lord, it has come at an incredible price. We talk about the cross often. But we know in truth, O oh Lord, we don't even know the half of it. We, in a sense, taught you the word of Son and how much an only begotten Son meant to us.